Romans 5, 8. Romans 5, 8. I would think if I was in prison, this would be a verse I would like to be able to read. But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Praise the Lord. It's a lot to think about, isn't it? And I, uh, <clears throat> I am slow to say, but many of us hadn't thought about it enough. I didn't. While I was yet a sinner, we're uh, encouraged by Peter's example. If you read the cult obedience this week, cult obedience, what number was that? The most, uh, the latest one, six, I mean, 463. This man called Peter, when Jesus manifested himself of Peter, he cried out and said, Whoa, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. While we were yet sinners, the gospel in a nutshell. The gospel in a nutshell, right there. When we get a correct vision of who God is and who we are, then there's a lot of hope for us, isn't there? A lot of hope. When I was young, I just uh, assumed I was a pretty good guy. I had wonderful parents, and I thought I had a good education. I just assumed I'm as good as the next guy. <laughs> Don't we do that? I'm as good as uh, the next one. And yet, I was a sinner. And we, uh, once we establish this fact, and the facts are, this is the, one of the great truths of God, I think it gives us a little more motivation to really, truly follow God. Because man's track record hasn't been very good. Let's be honest now. Let's not gloss it over. In Genesis 3, living in perfect harmony, living in a perfect world, <laughs> the scripture said, and Noah ate what he was told not to eat. They ate, and then what they do? They hid themselves from the presence of God. <laughs> Peter said, depart from me. Get away. This is, whoa. He had a great revelation. For most of us, it's shame. Genesis 4, the next generation. That was the first God, man God had made. Cain was born, and he became very angry. And God told him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, 
Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. <laughs> so the second generation failed. They were sinners. You go about ten more generations from approximately, I didn't calculate it exactly, but from Adam to Noah, ten generations, and God says this in Genesis 6, And the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. While we were yet sinners with evil thoughts, God showed His love. <laughs> what a contrast. What a tremendous contrast. Man hasn't been doing very good ever since. None of us have, have we? God gave the law. He delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt. Delivered them out of slavery. <laughs> delivered them through the flood. And the next thing you know, they're murmuring and complaining for 40 years. He gives them the law. The witness of the law, the manifestation of God says, I want to show you what it's like to be with me. Follow this law. Now, there were a few bright lights every once in a while, Noah and Enoch, Moses. But we were all sinners. The prophets cried out, and yet the people still failed. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? While we were yet sinners. That's one of the foundational truths that we have to stand on in our Christian faith. I grew up in the church, and I didn't want to acknowledge that. I didn't want to face the truth. I thought, I'm all right. Has anyone ever been offended in here? Everyone, anyone offended someone else. Yes, we all have. Deep down, in every man, in every society, every tribe, throughout all ages, someone in that people group, whether it's China or Russia, the United States, the land of privilege and benefit, someone has said, just like you said, so-and-so shouldn't have done that. You ever notice that? Well, he shouldn't have driven like that. When you make the statement, and I was reading Chuck Colson, and he got stuck on this word should. When you make the statement, or you have the thought, someone should have done this, or I should have done better, you instantly are setting up a value system. You're meaning to say that something should have been done better than what was done. 
If you set up a value system, and every society has, <laughs> what you're acknowledging is there is a right and a wrong. And when you acknowledge that you should have, that there is a right and wrong, you're admitting within yourself that there is a choice. I should have. That means I could have. And God made a choice. He commendeth His love toward us in that, and we made a choice. While we were yet sinners, <laughs> He died for us. I, I just, I got stuck on this verse. I mean, this is big. I mean, this is something to think about. Christ died for us. Adam failed, the patriarchs failed, Israel as a nation failed. The ceremonial law, Paul says, failed. It was a shadow. It was the best thing. It was the absolute best, but it didn't fulfill. The kings failed and the prophets failed. And if you listen or pay attention to anything that's being said today, most of us, if we have any honesty or any integrity about us, are willing to acknowledge. And we need to come to that point. We were sinners. I was listening to contemporary music and some songs out there. There's this song called Alive by Big Daddy Weave, and it says... I was, starts right off, I was dead in my trespasses, wandering in sin. I went searching for redemption down a road that had no end. I was walking through the fire, I was living, in the, living on the run with my flesh lost in its desire. I was drowning in the flood. But God, he says, but God, rich in mercy, came to save me. Now I'm alive, but God, strong and mighty, you reached down for me. Now I'm alive. I was in the grave, but God, you called me out. Now I'm alive. There's an acknowledgement when we truly come to the realization that God... Had mercy on us while we were yet sinners. Something had to be done, didn't it? Something must be done. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He presented to us an opportunity, a choice. Commendeth. He showed us. He recommended to us. A lot of people in literature and in songs, we... we uh, 
in the past have made literature about when we come to a fork in the road, what do we do? And we all have been at that fork of the road, you know. We make certain assumptions. We think life's good. I remember um, thinking that, uh, you know, I got to go to college, worked my way through college. Not only did I <laughs> not think I was a sinner, I thought I was as good as everyone else, but I allowed... Well, now I'm a little better than everyone else. <laughs> Creeps in real easy. I'm better than everyone else. And uh, it's, when I think about it, it was just horrid. How could I have been like that? How could I be one like that? And it took this revelation, this revelation... I remember I was, I was driving. I wasn't driving. Thankfully, Debbie was driving. We were driving back from her mom and dad's house in 1979. You know, and um, I thought I had, I had a new job, a wonderful wife. I thought, things are pretty good, you know. <laughs> pretty exciting. There was something within me that was honest enough to ask the question, God, <laughs> why is the church so dead? What a question to ask. What a silly, preemptuous, condescending question to ask. I mean, the trouble was God answered. And I'm telling you what, I don't, Debbie didn't hear it. It wasn't audible, but it was with such force. The answer to that question came up on me and said, you are dead. And I instantly, instantly knew the implications of that. Oh, God, have mercy on me. That's what I did, literally. In fact, we had a sunroof in our car, and I think I actually went out of that because I was instantly weeping. My wife had no, she was like, what is going on? And God changed my life. While we were yet sinners, we come to a fork in the road. <laughs> John Maxwell says, every major difficulty you face in life is a fork in the road. You choose which track you will head down. Toward breakdown or breakthrough? I want to break through. I want to acknowledge the truth of God and act upon it. Amen. I was looking up some of these quotes. You know, of course, we all know the famous... Robert Frost poem, but it's kind of strange, you know, when you really think about it, but, you know, Robert Frost wrote that famous poem that everybody talks about, but the meaning is kind of obscure. It says, two roads divulged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. From a spiritual point of view, that that's a truth, but I don't know if Robert Frost meant it that way, but I'll take it <laughs> that way. 
makes all the difference which fork you take. Henry Kissinger said something interesting about a fork in the road. If you do not know where you're going, every road you get on will get you nowhere. But you know, I think life is more than just a fork in the road, honestly. I just was thinking about this. I think life is more like one of those big, multi-lane, multi-choice, English roundabouts. (laughs) That's what I... Because I think some of us get on those roundabouts and we have no idea where we're going or where we should be going or which lane we're in. And like that, that one guy made a movie about it and he just kept driving round and round and round the roundabout you go. You get in the center lane and you're stuck. I think some of us got stuck on a roundabout. <sighs> We need to get on to the acknowledgement of the truth of God. In the truth of God, it's liberating. When we acknowledge the truth and then we recognize that in that truth is our liberation. I want to get off the roundabout. I want to get on down the road. Go to Romans 3. Just jump back. Of course... I read a little part from Romans 3, but let's, let's read Romans 3, 21 through, I believe it is. Let me see here if I've got the 21 through 25. Romans 3. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Now, I'm just going to stop there because that hit me. You know, we say the law was, un, was unable to fully and completely save us, and that's true. But the law and the prophets stand as witnesses against us. They say, Here, here's the witness. Uh, psh, nope, didn't measure up. Mm, nope, didn't make that one. The law and the witnesses, I mean, is the witness by the law. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all that believe, for there is no difference upon all and unto all. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I've previously read that. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ whom God has set forth to be a perpetuation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. This is one of the basic truths of all Christianity. We need to get a hold of it and we need to hold on to it. I know you believe it and I know you've heard it. But I think there is a liberation, there is an encouragement, there's a motivation that comes in reviewing some of these basic truths that the world will not acknowledge. We cannot back off from them. We were sinners. 
while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. If you've been saved, people talk a lot about what it means to be saved. If you read this verse that I just read, Romans 5, 8, that God commendeth his love toward us and that he died for us. And you acknowledge that and believe upon it. while you were a sinner and you get saved, <laughs> you're going to do something. You're going to start acting upon it. You know? Let's jump over to Ephesians. What does Ephesians say? Ephesians 2 Let's see if I can get that real fast. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in your trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among, among whom also we all have our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others." But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, has quickened us together with, with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And we are saved by grace, saved by faith, believing upon the name of Jesus Christ and acknowledging that we are sinners. And if you're saved, you're raised to new life, called up out of the grave, as that song said, I mean, we were in the grave. We were headed dead in the grave. And now, all of a sudden, we're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Okay? That was all my introduction. What do we do now? Well, you know, people, people, sometimes there was a question on Facebook and it just like, come on, that's almost silly. The question was, well, if, if you're saved and secure in Jesus, do you need to be a disciple of Jesus? Okay. Do we need to do anything? I want to do something. What? <laughs> if, if you were dead, 
and now you're alive? You were dead and now you're alive? You want to do everything, Amen. wouldn't you? I mean, you were dead and now you're alive? The thief on the cross, they always give that example. Well, the thief on the cross didn't do anything. Uh, begging your pardon. I mean, he knew his buddy over there that was dying. He knew him. Everybody down there knew him. And he says, and he says to his buddy, how can you say the things you're saying? This man was righteous. We were wicked. We were sinners. I mean, this may, I mean, the, the Roman guards probably heard it. They were like, whoa, what's this guy going on? He stood up and acknowledged Jesus in front of everybody. Amen. He was alive in Christ. He couldn't hold it in. Peter, Peter said, I'm wicked. But he, but he hung on to Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, you can walk on water, I can walk on water. Thanks for pointing that out, Pastor. None of us are like Peter. We should be, shouldn't we? Just step down the boat. Don't tell me he wasn't doing something for Jesus. Zacchaeus. He got alive. You, when you get alive, things start happening. You want to do things. People say to me, well, do I need to go to church? Well, that's, a, that's like, why wouldn't you want to go to church? Why wouldn't you want to be where Jesus is at? You know? Zacchaeus, dead in his sins and trespasses, says, I'm going to give away half of everything I own. I'm going to give it away. Matthew jumped up, started following Jesus. He was alive. The woman, the women, who had these expensive bottles of perfume, poured them out on the feet of Jesus and on the head of Jesus. What are we doing for Jesus when we realize, when we truly realize that life in Jesus is something Pretty special. It's worth everything. It's worth a year's wages to give away. What about that man, that demonic man that had a legion of demons within him? It said, All he began to publish in Decapolis, how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. I'm alive in Christ. I should be telling someone, shouldn't I? I should be telling someone. I got to tell someone. That song Chris Hummel used to sing, I've got to tell someone. 
What are we doing for Jesus? Are we staying close like Peter did? Are we speaking out like so many have done before us? When the truth of God really begins to get in our hearts, when we realize, you know what? I was dead. <laughs> I'm now alive. And it's because of Jesus. I want to read about Him. I want to talk about Him. I want to do anything I can for Him. That's what the disciples did. What can we do for Jesus? You know, we sang a lot about mercy today. It's a lot of mercy God has given us, isn't it? It's a lot of mercy. I just trust it will motivate us to do more for God. I was reading this book called Holiness, Truth, and the Presence of God. Someone gave it to me. Did you give that to me, Margaret? Margaret has, she's always digging up books. That As the kingdom of God opens up before our souls... It always seems more than we can bear and beyond our means to attain it. Such truth is our perception. When we really begin to comprehend the truth of God, it can be pretty overwhelming, but it can be pretty exhilarating, can it? Amen. said the wrong word there. <laughs> it can be pretty exciting. Truth does not stand alone in the kingdom of God. The height of God's truth is balanced by the depth of His grace. I thought, whoa, isn't that... The truth of God is God's perfect. We're sinners. He died for us. <laughs> you know... Grace and truth were realized in and through Jesus Christ. That's what John 1.17 says. It is the grace and the truth of God's purpose is to guide us into the truth and the grace of God supports us in every step. So today, when I just, I just like, the basics of God's Word, when it really begins to uh, get a hold of us, it kind of helps us realize what a joy it is to serve our Lord. What a joy it is. What a privilege it is. It should motivate us. It should cause us to, to really cry out, Lord, what can I do for you today? How can I praise you more today? How can I find and be around the people you've redeemed more today? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world. God first loved us. That love should call us. It should draw us. It should convict us today. 
we should receive it, accept that forgiveness, and be overwhelmed by the beauty and the wonder of it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My wife, uh, I mean my, uh, my son, John, gave Debbie and I this Puritan prayer book. The Puritans, you know, the Puritans, which were part of the pilgrims in the 1600s, had a habit that they would actually literally, and many of them, you've heard many, many of these names of uh, some of these Puritans, and they would, uh, they made a habit of actually David uh, Brainerd, John Bunyan, William J., Henry Law, C.H. Uh, Spurgeon, and he was later, and, and some of these, William Williams and, and different ones. But they thought it would be edifying if they would literally write down their prayers. And so several of these great, tremendous men of God throughout several centuries would literally write down how they were praying. And now many of us have the benefit to look back and read it. And so I was just going to, in closing, read one of their prayers. This was a prayer on deliverance. Before thee I am nothing but vanity, perishing. Sin has forfeited thy favor and stripped me of, my, of thy image, banished me from thy presence and exposed me to the curse of the law. I cannot deliver myself. This is a, a written prayer. And I am in despair, but a resource is found in thee. Thou did devise an everlasting plan, honorable to thy perfections, and on which angels desired to look into, and the word which announced all the glory of this goodness is nigh me, invites me, and beseeches me. May I, convinced and self-despairing sinner that I am, find Jesus as the power unto salvation, his death the center of all relief, the source of all gospel blessing. Help me to repair to the cross, be crucified to the world by it, and in it find the deep humiliation and find the motives to patience and self-denial, grace for active benevolence, faith to grasp eternal life, and hope to lift up my head, love to bind me forever to him who died and rose for me. May his shed blood make me more thankful for thy mercies, more humble under thy correction, more zealous in thy service, more watchful against temptation, more contented in my circumstances, and more useful to others. Amen. When I read this, I realized I need to be more and more thankful, more and more helpful, more and more gracious, because the debt I owe to this Christ 
is so commendable. And He gave it to us. And so may we be motivated today to truly honor our Savior. Praise God.